Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Book of the Month. This one is a special episode and is a book of the month, but also is not regularly scheduled. So it's like an extra Fantasy Book of the Month. That How am I doing? Anybody? Okay. This is the kind of thing that we would put behind a Patreon paywall if we had Patreon and a paywall. And also if our guest didn't want it to go out and, and be heard so that, you know, everything could be shared. So you yeah, lucky right. suckers are getting it for free. Finger like, it, like always. Like all the other ones. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this uh, time that we are uh, here with uh, Mary Robin Ecoal, uh to talk about her new book, The Spare Man. Welcome, Mary. Robin Thank I. you so much. Uh, you, you didn't mention that it's also, uh, you know, special because it's not fantasy. <laughs> That's right, Dan. How could you forget that? I mean... That? Well, listen, we have had this fight before, Peter, <laughs> but fantasy is a broad I, term that covers a lot of things. I approve. It probably irks, yeah, some some folks to try to put them under the same hat, but... There is uh, definitely room for fantasy in a lot of science fiction, enough that, you know, people call things a whole science fantasy yeah. category or subcategory, but this book, I would call a solid science fiction novel. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it science fantasy. As long as you don't ask me how certain aspects of it work. No. Science, never. Then we're fine. <laughs> no, I'm I'm Some far more likely to rant about how the bullets on Westworld work than uh, ask you for the things that all seem perfectly reasonable in this book. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, you can just ask me cuz I now work in the aerospace field. So the aerospace <laughs> stuff is all solid. That I will say. I worked with a, a rocket engineer, um, and he he actually designed a spaceship for me. And then we, like, I have a ridiculous spreadsheet that he made to track when all of the things happen, uh, what the time lag is in any given moment in the book for comms, um, mm -hmm. like how big the spaceship needs to be in order for the gravity that I want to be doing. So, yeah, the aerospace stuff is all solid. I mean, don't ask me what the engine is. Yes, but, you. you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had that acknowledgement at the end of the book, and I was not at all surprised to see it there. Everything was so well uh, realized. And uh, and honestly, the the images at the front of the book to show me what the spaceship looked like were really appreciated. Yeah, it's hard to visualize because it's so bonkers. Like, no one would actually build this ship except a luxury cruise line. Yeah. Okay, Dan, so you, I'm going to... Were you on I'm Oasis gonna... of the Seas? Wait, what was that? Sorry, Dan, were, did you, were you on the Oasis? The really big one? Yeah. Yes, I was. Okay, so this is, this is drawing heavily on the Writing Excuses cruise that was on that particular ship. <laughs> that was a big very big ship it had a park in the middle of it <laughs> wait like with trees with, like, and stuff? live trees yep 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 there was a what mm -hmm. there was a, it had a, a water show that had three-story diving boards with olympic gymnasts there was a carousel yeah it was it was ridiculous wow it had a bar in the park that was also an elevator yep. Uh, there, was a, there was a lot going on in that ship. Yeah. Wow, that sounds like a science fiction, right? Novel and so right I was there. just like, 
Yeah, but it's a real thing yeah. and you can and get so on it. It's just like, okay, but that, but in space. <laughs> oh I, was just, I was just telling someone uh, recently that like, you know, because uh, I was watching um, yeah. uh, Avenue 5 on HBO, which is about a space cruise ship that goes horribly wrong. Uh, and I was like, well, you know, you might have a good time or, or a not great time on a cruise ship, but at least it's not in space. There's <laughs> just, yeah. just so much yeah. extra trouble you can get into. Yeah, I, was, I, I tell my coworkers, the more I learn about space and how much it sucks, like your <laughs> eyes get changed and get bigger, so your mm. prescription changes when you're in zero G, the less I want to go to space. Yeah, the more I learn about it, I I also have the ooh, that sounds like a major pain, and also I still want to go. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's a compelling, you know, it's a compelling draw. Like, who wouldn't want to actually at least briefly go to space? <laughs> Unless the answer is now Rachel. Rachel, would you not want to go to space? I mean, mm, no. As we're currently working on stuff for space, no, not at all. <laughs> nope. Uh. Yeah. I, I think it's for me, it's like the more I learn about writing, um, the harder it is. And yet I still oh, want interesting. to write. So, yeah, I get that, it, especially because you like learn to see more of your own mistakes, I guess. And then you have to learn how to fix them. And mm -hmm. those lessons yeah. don't necessarily come together. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then once you learn to fix them, there's just a different mistake that needs to learn that you yeah. need to learn to fix. Well, that's so that gives me an interesting question. Mary, do you enjoy your own writing? I do. You can you you can go Actually. back and read something you've written and enjoy it. Yes. That's fantastic. Um Well, so my like I don't expect anything that I read to be perfect. That and if I'm sense. willing to grant other writer <clears throat> other writers grace, why wouldn't I grant it to myself as well? Um, so because I'm writing things that are, you know, I'm writing things to amuse me or to move me, uh, and and then I'm hoping it will have that same emotion for other people. So when I go back and read it, it, uh, you know, it it usually does. It's like, oh, this still this this works. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go back and reread my own stuff often, I will say. It's mostly when I have to, like, check on a, a, a detail or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've published 10 books now? Is this 10? This is the 10th book. Uh, yeah. So are, do you have any, like, I guess, particular lessons that you've you've taken away from, from all of that writing? Yeah. Um which I'm sure there were there were probably a lot more in between those ten. Right. Yeah. Um, the one of the things that I I've been working on recently is um, relaxing. Uh, so when I started writing, mm -hmm. plot structure was very difficult for me. So I rigidly outlined my books, um, like the the first several things that I I, I published. And I sometimes talk about uh, my my writing through the the lens of puppetry because that's that's the art form that I came through, 
And one of the things that my mentor talked to me about was that, that I needed to learn the techniques of puppetry. Like I needed to be able to walk the puppet as naturally as I walked my own body so that when I was on stage, I could just let the art happen and I wasn't having to think about technique. And plot structure is a technique. So what I've been working towards uh, is recently with the last couple of books is trying to say, okay, you know what? I have internalized structure now. What happens if I just chase the emotion and um, and let the structure manage itself? Uh, and that's that's been an interesting process. I think I will ultimately settle with something that um, is somewhere in between because it does, I do slow down a lot when I do it that way, but um, but I also wind up with books that I would not have written other, otherwise. Yeah, I mean, to talk about your bibliography, the the glamorous histories are all like very plot driven and they are, first of all, wonderful, but they, you know, revolve mostly around uh, big events, uh, somewhat big events, uh, but at their heart, they still have, you know, this married couple that mm -hmm. is, um, you know, bringing all the heart to the novel. Is there something more to it than, like, when you say chase the emotion, I guess I'm wondering, like, what do you feel like wasn't in those earlier novels that now you're getting a better handle on? Um, I don't know that it was missing necessarily from the earlier novels so much as... I was in danger of writing the same book over and over in some ways. Like I was, I was mm, in danger of okay. writing books that were very safe, very structured. Um, and the, the first one that I like kind of put myself more, more of myself into and worried less about the, um, what is the structure of this thing was really calculating stars was where I really started to first kind of let go of, I'm going to plot everything um, Relentless Moon, mm -hmm. uh, a great deal of that. Like I, I had big tent post ideas, but large parts of it were uh, completely free written. And Spare Man, what I, I started to try to plot Spare Man and then realized that the fun of a murder mystery, particularly the, the Thin Man movies, was all of the conversations with the characters. And so what I did was I... Again, I, I kind of had my 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 big tent post idea, but um, but I I did not start with an outline on that book. I I just started writing it, and I got a ways into it before I was like, okay, I need to reverse engineer what I did to get here, and then <clears throat> and then figure out how to get to the end. So, did you have an excuse me? Did you have like an ending in mind? After you started writing? Yes and no. Um, yes and no. So uh, one of the things that I did with, um, again, a, a weird thing, in Valor and Vanity, um, I had, I knew that I wanted to write, I promise this is answering your question, <laughs> uh, Jane, I wanted to write Jane Austen, uh, Jane Austen writes Ocean's Eleven. I wanted to write a heist novel. And so I knew that there were certain elements of the heist novel. And when I wrote the synopsis to sell it to my publisher, at the end, I was just like, and then in a thrilling conclusion that involves a gondola chase, nuns, and and I can't remember what the other element was, but I just put down a couple of random elements that I thought would probably be in Venice, which is where the book was set. 
And I was like, I don't know how this is going to play out, but these would be cool things to see. And 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 the ending will be whatever it is. And then I got there. I was like, ooh, how can I do something with gondola chase and nuns? And so kind of the same thing happened here. It's like, and a thrilling conclusion involving a theater, her, her service dog, and, and I can't remember what the other thing was. Um, Tesla uncovers the culprit. And... And I'm like, I have no idea what that's going to look like when I get there. Um, so kind of, uh, there were pieces of it that I, there were pieces of it that I definitely knew. Um, there was some stuff about the way the ship works and and physics work uh, that I knew I wanted to take advantage of. Um, uh, but um, but like there is uh, one of the. This is not, I don't th- feel like this is a spoiler. There's more than one murder <laughs> because it's very common. <gasps> I know this is very <gasps> common in murder mysteries. So I don't feel like it's more than th- that it's a spoiler. But um, after it was written, I changed the murder weapon uh, uh, for, for one of them. Oh. Um, and like th- there were a number of things that I was just like, mm, that doesn't make any sense and went back and changed it. Or I can tighten this up or <laughs> my favorite of my uh, replotting uh, is that, and I talk about this in the afterward, when I had done that thing where I reverse engineered the outline, I, I had them on note cards and was really trying to wrap my head around, okay, so now I'm going to use all of my structure tools as a diagnostic effort and figure out you know which pieces I can tighten which pieces I can jettison which pieces are missing and uh, so I had it all laid out on the floor in this beautiful multicolored note card array and then my cats played tag across it (laughs) um and oh yeah oh yeah and um oh no so uh, again I don't feel like this is this is not a spoiler it's just that when you get to the yoga scene uh, that originally happened in a totally different part of the book. And after the cats ran across it, it was like, oh, that is better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. That is so cute. <laughs> so your, your cats uh, deserve meant, a co-writing credit. Yes, yes. I did thank them in the acknowledgments. Oh, uh, I noticed. But, but, yeah. Uh, but because of that, it meant it, it changed when I introduced a character. And so... I had to make those changes, which then, you know, had some cascading, some other cascading effects. But that kind of thing, it's like, I I don't know that I would have been as willing to just kind of follow the chaos uh, (laughs) when I was learning to write, when I didn't understand structure as I am now. I really like that you admit that you're still learning even after 10 published books. That is, that is amazing. I feel like if you are not still learning, that is how you plateau in your fiction. Like, like I, I always want to be struggling a little, because if I'm not, then I'm, I'm just repeating mm. things on the easy setting. I'm just, you know, and, and that's right. That's right. You're not growing. Yeah. It's like that's that's a really good way to keep writing the same book over and over again. Right. Then you then you become Robert Jordan. I mean, it worked out okay for him. Yeah, I, I mean, sure. I mean, he did fine, but boy, I you know, I could. But go Peter on. lost all respect so, for but, him, which is so. To, <laughs> that is not. But to be to be fair, like on the Robert Jordan front, he he was continuing to write while very very sick, and so 
you know, I think it's fair. I do think that when you are when you're dealing with different life circumstances, that it's okay to dial something back to mm-hmm. an easier setting that you can execute well than than trying to do something that is going to be beyond your capabilities. Not not in terms of um, you know, your skill set, but but your your emotional or physical capabilities. I feel like I feel like it's okay to dial stuff back. Um, you know, again, pointing to calculating stars, the reason that Elma is Southern is because uh, I am Southern. You know, her mom, her mom says, uh, but what will people think? And like, mm. that is a thing that I have heard my entire life from my mom. So I, I, I set a lot of things on easy settings so that all of the stuff that was unfamiliar territory to me, like... You know, she is Jewish. I am not. She's a mathematician. I am very profoundly not. Um, all of that stuff <laughs> could be the thing that I focused my attention on, and I could let the other things, you know, just do the things that I, I, you know, that I was comfortable with, and and like focus where I was going to to, to try to have my my growth experience. I mean, like for Tesla, you know, you this is a character with a, a disability. When it comes to to creating a character like that, I mean, um, how how do you go about? I guess deciding what limitations they have, what strengths they pull from it, how they interact with the world. Um, how do you, how do you make those choices? Sure. So. Um... I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wind up talking for a long time on this one. Okay. Sorry, I I never give short answers, but but. <laughs> well, we're not we're not here to listen to um, you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'll just be quiet then. No. Um. So uh, so there's this thing called the mice quotient, which Dan has heard me talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is uh, this organizational structure, milieu, inquiry, character, and event, and. The thing when you're you're dealing with a, a character with a disability is that it's very tempting to make that a plot element, to make that, you know, part of their journey. And what I really deliberately did with Tesla was to make it not part of her journey. So, you know, it, it is not a, a, a thing, you know, it's not an event story where uh, she becomes disabled and has to learn how to deal with disability. It's not a, a disruption of the mm-hmm. status quo. It's not a character story. It's not her learning to accept the fact that she has a disability. None of those things, you know, there's we, there's no inquiry for the reader. What is her? You know, I, I tell you straight up front from the very beginning, she has PTSD. She has chronic pain. Like in the first scene, I let you know that. Um, yeah, I, I think that was all a very wise choice. Uh, so what I then do is um, her disability is her normal. Which, again, one of the, the things that a lot of one of the mistakes that a lot of people will make is that they will have the characters think about their own skills or abilities in ways that uh, that someone would not think about that. So if instead of thinking about it as a disability, if I think about it as a skill set, it's like, OK, what you know this is this is the way she moves through the world it affects the way she moves through the world it affects the way she sees the world so when she looks at stairs her skill set of approaching stairs is different than my skill set of approaching stairs 
So she's going to she's going to approach it that way. Mm-hmm. Her skill set for standing um actually her skill set for standing uh and and getting down are not that dissimilar from mine. Um uh but she she doesn't think about, "Oh, I must move carefully to avoid the pain." She's like, "All right." She she just is like back straight. That's all she's she's thinking about. How do how does she maintain where she is? Which is this does not hurt right now, and I would like it to not continue. I would like it to continue not hurting. So, so I focus on the way she moves through the world, and then the only times that I highlight her pain issues are when her normal has been violated. So, like she gets out of a booth and she turns, and she's like, I know better than to move like that. Mm-hmm. But we we all will make mistakes sometimes, and so it's it's just when. Mm-hmm. when the uh when the skills are challenged or failed that those are the times that i i highlight it the rest of the time it's just like i treat it like a skill set well and you even um parallel them with someone who doesn't suffer those same uh uh, uh handicaps uh in you know comparing her to shall who just in the course of the story very early on. So I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything takes some, some rib injuries and spends much of the rest of the book taking that reflexive, whoops, I turned the wrong way and now I'm hurting, which is something we see from Tesla a lot. Also just in different circumstances with a different, as you say, skill set. Yeah. Yeah. She's much less likely to, um to let people know that you know it's like she's she's much better mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. masking that um uh, because she's like oh nope know what that is um like i um it's funny when i wrote the acknowledgments or, or the the afterward i i wrote about um you know my mom's deep brain pain stimulator uh, deep brain uh my de- mom's deep brain stimulator and how that inspired Tesla's deep brain pain stimulator. I talked about the service dogs, but in terms of talking about how we we internalize a normal and don't even think about it, it was not until I started doing interviews mm. for the book and people kept asking me, you know, what is your you know relationship to disability? I'm like, well, it's, you know, um, at first I was like, well, you know, I have this essential tremor because I think of that as a disability because it affects my ability to do certain types of puppets. Mm. I do not think about the fact that uh, early in my puppetry career, I uh, I herniated a disc in my lower back, and uh, and like really just compl- forgot is not quite the right word, but you know it's like I have to turn over in bed in a very particular way. When uh, if I don't do my back exercises, that that area becomes a problem. The reason that I know how Tesla stand needs to stand and, and get down to her knees is, you know, if I'm having a flare up, that's how I have to move. But I don't think about it as a disability because it does not prevent me from doing any of the things I want to do. Like I can still perform the shows that I want to perform. I just have to treat it and move through the world in a very specific way. And that is my normal. And so I just I just forgot that I have this this thing. Like I I forgot that I have, you know, I, I'm, as we're sitting here talking and I'm, I'm having to shift in my chair 
I'm like, oh, that's right. I have I have tendonitis in a couple of places, and I can only sit in certain positions for so long. And I don't think about it. And that's exactly the way I'm trying to have Tesla move through the world, is that she doesn't think about it until something violates her normal, like really terrible chairs. Which do show up. Yeah. Yes. Especially on cruise ships. Yes. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Yeah. Yes. From my own experience, like I have uh, dyslexia and ADHD, which I don't typically think of disabilities, um, but it's because I've mm-hmm. lived with it my entire life and it's fun. <laughs> uh, it, but it has yeah. great experiences as me and my other dyslexic friend trying to spell immensely and spelling it with an E. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, oh, yeah. I was because like, because the way I cope with spelling long words uh, in a group setting is I just ask the group because I figure somebody will know. Unfortunately, it was only me and my other dyslexic friend, and we were just like, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it's, and then we're like, E-M-E-N-S-E-L-Y. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of that that was correct. Yeah. <laughs> And they were like, oh, it starts with an I. We're just pronouncing it phonetically wrong. Uh. So you can always just right click, add to dictionary, and then it becomes the real thing. <laughs> I just oh. added uh, fart weasels to my dictionary, and that was deeply satisfying. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> is, this a, um, is this a word? I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> that word. It is now. Um, but no, uh, I, so just, I, uh, as a, I, I have ADHD. Um, which and I wasn't diagnosed with it until I was fifty. Um, I, for those wondering, I'm fifty three now. Uh, and it again, it was like, well, this is just is, isn't this just how everybody's brain works? What do you mean you don't have five thoughts colliding in your head simultaneously all the time? <laughs> that happened to me with uh, I actually diagnosed diagnosed in quotations my friend with dyslexia because I noticed he was capitalizing his B's and D's and I was like. You can't tell the difference between those two, can you? And then I realized, I am the same as you, and you have ADD. Uh... Ha! Um, and I'm like, people don't finish pe- other people's sentences in their head because they're talking too <laughs> slow? <laughs> Rachel! <laughs> I can't afford oh my gosh. <laughs> Look. Listen, I completed an entire other's degree because I got bored. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Rachel, I just want you to know that you were seen. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, oh, no, I, I love that. My, I mean, my problem is that I finish people's, or I, I extrapolate people's sentences before they stop. And then I'm surprised when they didn't say what the, the stupid, nonsensical thing that I extrapolated that they were going to say. I thought you were going to talk about dinosaurs after that. <laughs> I almost did, but I didn't. <laughs> Rawr. All right, so uh, I, I'm curious. I'm going to ask some trivial questions. Hmm. Um, do you prefer the Thin Man book or the movies? Movies. Myrna Loy, William Powell. Why would I? I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really hard to not like, favor them, and of course, and of course, their dog. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Dashiell Hammett. Yeah. Whatever. Give me. <laughs> <laughs> nope, you you got it. You got you you answered correctly. You get five <laughs> points. You. Um, redeemable yeah, no. in the in the gift shop. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. 
on, on, on your way out, please, please stop. Um, In our Patreon. <laughs> right, right. The one we're still two years from setting up, I'm sure. Um, no, I just, I loved the entire homage. It was lovely and delicious. Um, I, very uh, tasty, I guess I'm going to keep you, using mouth words. Did you make words. any of the cocktails? Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm not much of a cocktail drinker, unfortunately. Um, I, I did look up how to muddle a, mm-hmm. uh, a pepper, I think. Like, chapter two is uh, Shaw's Hospitality. Uh, Amal's no, Hospitality. The Amal's. A name. Yeah, Amal's Hospitality. Amal's, yeah. yeah. And uh, now, now I have to order a cocktail set because I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think I can muddle something with. Uh, you can do it without the proper tools. No, no, you can just so. do it with a wooden spoon. No, Mary, I, Mary Robinette, I need, <laughs> I need the proper yeah, tools. Sorry. There are tools to buy, and I will have them. Dan, you're you're correct. <laughs> you do need the proper tools. That is very important. You're absolutely correct. It might need to be copper. Mm. And and I will I will tell you that I um, one of the the very last chapter headers so in case it's not clear by now every chapter header is a cocktail uh, uh recipe one of the very last i had to send a picture of to my dad because for decades now my father has told me off and on whenever it comes up the story of his father who went to the same restaurant every day at lunch when he was you know uh, when he was on break from work and they knew him and they gave him the same seat every time and they brought him the same drink every time which was a martini poured you know poured carefully with the word vermouth whispered over it um (laughs) and and that is so so he just likes gin (laughs) yes and that is in fact one of one of you know your final recipes late in the book and i just i saw that and that of course touched me and i i sent that to my dad and he was (laughs) likewise touched so that was that was nicely done that resonated with a particular memory of mine and i appreciated it i am delighted uh, the martini is such a fascinating cocktail because there are so many different ways to approach what is essentially a very simple drink. And it, it is very simple, yeah. Yeah. And like depending on the gin that you pick or the vermouth, um, what your ratios are. Like I, I actually like a much older school one, which is a um, two to one ratio. And I used to think that I wanted a dry martini because that's what I would hear ordered in movies and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, dry martini is basically just gin. And so what what do people you say you like an older mix, what do people more commonly pour? So these most days? of the time these days it's a five to one ratio. Um so hmm. that that's what you're when you order it in the bar, that's what you are probably gonna get. So an ounce and a half of gin and, and three quarters of an ounce of vermouth. Um, or you'll get a dry martini mm. where they uh, like sometimes they'll just rinse the glass with vermouth, um, or they will mm. ask you uh, if you want a gin or vodka martini. Um, and then I am very snarky that the thing that happens in the pool bar where <laughs> Tesla is like, "I said a martini." Um, <laughs> I I will mm-hmm. admit to have having said that. Um, in not necessarily should, but uh, but it but it turns out that there is something that the vodka martini is is called a kangaroo. That if you do, you know, it it has a proper name. It's a kangaroo, and if you try to order a kangaroo in any bar, they will look at you, and you'll have to say it's a vodka martini. 
And but then you get to feel superior. Yes. Yeah. One of my early questions for you that I jotted down while taking notes was was you know whether you had to do a lot of research for the cocktails or whether you were already enthusi- an enthusiast. But your acknowledgement section at the end solved that question for me. Not to mention uh, your enthusiasm here on the recording tonight. <laughs> yeah, you guys are like yeah. super classy yeah, talking I- about these classy drinks, and I'm just like. I like root beer schnapps in my root beer on occasion. That's like the most okay, alcoholic yeah. drink. <laughs> Maybe once a year. So cocktails, yeah, cocktails do not have to have alcohol. I am a very firm firm believer that they, like people will call them virgin cocktails or mocktails. And I, I feel like that is placing a value judgment on it. Like for me, a cocktail is a drink in which you have mixed several ingredients together and you're doing it for the purpose of enjoying the flavors. Um, so if, if it's, you know, like if you've got, uh, hot chocolate and you add chai to it, um, can you say that that is a, a hot, uh, zero proof cocktail? Yeah, I actually think that you can. Um, it's, you know, I don't, I do not think that the, the joy of a celebratory beverage that's interesting and fun should be be the sole province of people who drink alcohol so the the so recipes include things that are non-alcoholic in the book so how it's long so until you release a cocktail book funny you should mention um look for a kickstarter next year <laughs> okay wow. and then follow up how long until you re- release a provocative cal- photo calendar labeled hot zero proof cocktail <laughs> <laughs> um right after i finish my that one might be longer dancing <laughs> zero g dancing with the stars right after that i'll do the uh there you go wonderful uh, i will say i when i when i first was reading the book i was talking to some of my booktube friends and i was like oh yeah this book i'm reading uh has like cocktails in it they're all like that's a video idea and now they all want to read the book so because and make every uh cocktail excellent Oh, and man. as you're reading yes. it does mean i think reading only um, a chapter a night <laughs> <laughs> one of them was an ex-bartender so maybe yeah, she maybe. can get a little bit farther yeah i um <laughs> i i started doing a tiktok series in which i was working my way through the book and would do um I would, you know, read the recipe, show people which ingredients to put in, and then, you know, during the 40 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever, I would read a piece of the book um, that related to, you know, from that chapter that was that long. And, uh, but I could only, Mm -hmm. I could, normally I bank all of my TikToks, like I'll do a bunch of them all in the row. I can't do that with these. It's like I had to do one every night. And, <laughs> like I, I got too into it, and I was. I got. I mean, I did oh, two no. of them. I'm like, okay, I think we may be done now. <laughs> the next one. The next one will be a little. Uh, this yeah. one's gonna be a little. Oh man, yeah. All right. So I promised earlier the, not to ask mm. you technical science questions that you wouldn't Excellent. be able to answer, and I'm going to renege. Um, although it's, it, it's not so much, I want you to answer how this works. Just, just an element from your imagination. You, you, you bring up in the book a few times. It's not a plot point. It's just a, uh, you know, an element of 
of the future, self-cleaning fabrics. Yeah. And more than once, uh, readers, listeners will be surprised to learn that they get used to uh, sop up blood yeah. because people are, there's murders and stuff, you know, whoops, spoilers. Um, so <laughs> where in your imagination does that blood go? Right. So this is um, only barely science fiction. Um, okay. There are, there, there are people who are working on, on things like this um, and, and, Basically, for something like this, it would have uh, hydrophobic properties. But um, mm -hmm. what I am imagining, so the the ones that we have now are hydrophobic, and they just basically shed it. Right, they wouldn't serve to staunch right. blood at all um, in the first but place. But there's another thing that people are working on. Oh shoot, what's it called? Cannot remember the name of it. Um, anyway, but in my in my head. Uh, the way this works is that uh, all of the fibers are basically capillaries. And so what it does is it, mm -hmm. um, rather than just shedding it, it enfolds it and tucks it inside until you get it to get it home and then do a, mm -hmm. a, a you know, use your USB to release it. Oh, okay. So they, they look clean Completely, because they're actually... Yes absorbing the 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 filth into yeah, like a little it, it, um marsupial yeah. pocket so not partly, pocket but like, like into a layer you know with the the puppetry stuff i do a, a lot of things where i have to dye stuff and there are there's some things that take dye really well and mm -hmm. there's some stuff that doesn't dye well not because because what it does is it puts the um it puts the dye inside and there's an outer sheath that mm -hmm. masks and dulls everything, so you can't see the dye. Ah, okay. So it's just so yeah. absorbent that it pulls it into an underlayer and it looks clean. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you. What is it? For um, answering that silly question. What is that? Shamwow. Shamwow, right. <laughs> right, we all remember those commercials. Listen, I'm 25. I that was I was barely old enough. Okay, well, we people who are adults all remember those commercials. Um, <laughs> yeah, even we could make even more obscure references if we wanted to, Peter, but we're not going to. That's right. I uh, behold the power of cheese. Um <laughs> All right. Let's see. Okay, I had, I have, I have a whole list of trivial questions, and I'm going to get through all of them unless we have a, a strict time limit. Um, we uh, do, but there's probably okay, time great. for that. Thanks for that. So, okay. Go Mary good. Robinette, if he gets too annoying, you can just push him over. It's fine. Yeah, I'll just. I think you. I think you can mute him at some point. I think they, you have that capability. I, I, <laughs> I am. I am not feeling the love here tonight. Oh. I don't know. I don't know what this podcast would be if if we record it and Peter shuts off having a discussion with himself into the void. I, I'll just I'll just go. <laughs> it's fine. You're... I want to know what the trivia questions okay. are. These are these are like these are definitely not questions that I've gotten before so okay. far. If you could live comfortably and with sufficient convenience anywhere on the planet, where would you live? 
uh, where except, I am Except that was except there. Oh, Iceland. Okay. Why Iceland? It is beautiful. It's true. It is conveniently situated between North America and Europe so that both are mm, yeah. uh, equally accessible and equally inconvenient. True. Uh, the Good northern point. lights are amazing. I love hot springs. The mm. uh, people are, are incredibly literate and value books very highly. Um, and mm, again, yeah. I say unto you, it is beautiful. It's true. It is. Have you been to the Blue Lagoon? Yes. I used to live in Iceland. Yeah. Oh, that was great. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. I only got to stop there for a couple of days, but it was lovely. Yeah. Um, all right. Follow-up question. Same question, except anywhere in the solar system the, with the assum assumption, assumption <laughs> of comfort and, and convenience. You can still get your internet and your food and, and et cetera. We don't worry about that. It's a fantasy um, question. So I would probably still stick with Earth because um, we have the the most um, uh, the, the the widest variety. Of, we, we have ecosystems. Um, <laughs> it's true. So, we do have uh, one of those. I was going to say, you don't uh, want yeah. mushrooms for every meal. Um, but I would, if we had the, uh, I I would like to say that if we had the ability to go to Mars the way that Tesla does, that I would do that. But there are places on Earth that I haven't gone yet. And like, I have never been to South America. Mm. I've mm -hmm. never been uh, anywhere in Africa. I've only been a few places in Asia, uh, have, you know, gone to Australia once, never been to New Zealand, never been to Antarctica, um, never gone you know, into the deep sea. So, so yeah, you have more places yeah. to catch them all on your list before you uh, start. Yeah. Yeah. Start up the expansion set. You got to <laughs> hit the regional decks, uh, Pokédex before you go to the national deck. Would you travel in? Would I travel in what? If you could, would you leave? Like, Asleep. Well, I mean, that's um, basically the like way I travel now. I get kind on of airplane and immediately fall asleep. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was reading uh, the Sun Eater series, uh, and they travel, and it's so weird because they're, it's like, I am thousands of years old, but I'm only 35 because yeah. I spent thousand years at Fugue. Yeah. So this is a um, yes, but uh, because um, the, the I wouldn't go someplace that required me to be gone for a thousand years. Um, I have a cat that mm -hmm. I really like. I'm very fond of my husband, you know. Mm. And so like if they could all come with me, but he doesn't travel well. You know, and you know how much cats enjoy traveling. The, the husband, husband or the or cat? The, cat. <laughs> <laughs> the husband. The husband does not travel well. The cat is also does not travel well, but um, oh. yeah, he'd have to get a new career because his career is tied very yes. much to the soil of the earth. Yeah, so. yeah he's a winemaker. It would be a problem. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I can't. I, I can't think of like what it would be like to live on, you know, any other planet in the solar system, with the exception that it would be very similar to like Wyoming. Where just like there's mm -hmm. desolation, you know, 
and I drove through Wyoming one time and it was maybe the worst experience of my life. And uh, I got uh, pulled over in Wyoming. Yeah. See, you saw I, another person in Wyoming. Out. Well, they saw <laughs> me first. Um, I, I think six year old me would have kicked Pluto because I was very offended in 2006 when uh, I, Pluto I was no longer a planet. Yeah. yeah. But you could still go there, I guess, if you really wanted to. Yeah, it's yeah. still there. Yeah, you can go to places that aren't technically planets. Yeah, you can put but... a plaque down that says "This is for sure a planet." So then yeah. later, <laughs> I'm the other future here societies will be real planet. confused. Yeah, <laughs> they'll know, they'll know what's up. Yeah, uh, Pluto was my favorite planet for the yeah. longest time, yeah. and then I, I, it was I, very offended. Pluto is still a planet to me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a planet of your heart. The dark, cold, atmosphericless <laughs> orb in the void. Yeah, that's where my heart lives. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. I have another trivial question, Ooh. and then I have I, I found I found a non-trivial question in my scribbles. Um. Okay, trivial question. What is gamer's belly? Because you describe it twice. <laughs> It comes up twice, and I, I just didn't know what to imagine. It's it's just a pot belly. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's just. I a read that belly. and immediately fell in love pot with the belly, whole setting. Belly. Like I think that's in like the first chapter, maybe. I, it's uh, it's there, and up. then somewhere in the middle too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, real thought has been put yeah. into this because, of course, that's how <laughs> our our relationship with bellies would evolve. <laughs> to some sort of twitch yeah. natural or something. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Followed up yeah. by, by a question that may require deeper thought or not. Maybe it's super easy. Um, so even, uh, even, so obviously you are paralleling the thin man, um, you know, a, a, an accomplished detective marries into a, uh, a wealthy Family marries a wealthy heiress, although in this case, um, uh, Tesla is not does not seem to have only the job of being an heiress as as the the character and the thin man did as Nora did. Um, but uh, given that there are valid criticisms associated with the very rich, did you have any second thoughts about making your protagonist one of that? super super rich people yeah i did think about that um and part of what i wanted to do with the novel was to um kind of explore what happens when you know when a, a woman born of privilege uh wants to get her hands dirty um mm -hmm. and uh, and that, you know, she she thinks she's totally self-reliant and all of these other things. And then the moment that safety net is gone, she's she's like she's not. Um, and uh, and and that was also part of why there's uh, several places in the book where Shao calls her on it. It's like, don't don't do that. Because mm -hmm. um, there are, there are a lot of things that I think. I think that many people have um, a level of privilege that they don't recognize that they have. And I, you know, I have friends, um, I've been someone in the hospitality industry, but 
but friends who've worked in hotels and you know they'll talk about how someone is is all fine on the phone and then they arrive and and immediately start um just trying to 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 be the dominant person you know i don't have enough towels um mm. something that that i will see which um which i find upsetting and and really gross is um you know, like when I'm running a Worldcon or Sifwa or, or just, you know, writing excuses, uh, that there will be people who behave differently to my staff than they do to me. And and it's gross. Oh. And I see it. And it's like, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know why they think that I won't notice that. Um, and so I wanted... You know, I wanted a protagonist that was, you know, kind of like Jane Austen's Emma in that she's she's maybe someone that is not that level. She's not, um, you know, she is she does make missteps. I I don't want it to be comfortable when she does those things. Um, and mm. I've I've seen some some of the early reviews say that they they really bounce off of her that they don't like her because of that. I'm like, good, that's fine. You shouldn't like her for those things um what i'm i'm hoping is that that people mm -hmm. will catch themselves doing those things all of the small things um all of the the small dismissiveness that she does because that's that's the stuff that um that a lot of people don't evaluate in their own behavior that's a good hope if 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 just a handful of people bounce off of her as 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 you say and uh, and then recognize some of that behavior in themselves that would be a small triumph but hopefully hopefully they will <laughs> hopefully they will find some of those behaviors objectionable but still like the character and love the book like i did yeah i mean i i think it helps that you know early in the in the book which is all that i've read uh <laughs> the she uses that privilege mostly in defense of herself and her husband and not necessarily yeah. in a like that she's calling security every time a, a poor looks at her or whatever um, th that you might associate with a character like that. So I felt like, you know, I, you know, once once I realized like how rich, yeah, you know, she was like I think it was mostly like the room that they have in the <laughs> yeah. in the in the thing that I was like oh that that has to be worth something and then and then she starts making long distance calls to Earth <laughs> mm -hmm. from from wherever they happen to be in the solar system uh, the the and and does it without yeah. like a second thought as people are like agog that that they the calls lasting more than 10 seconds so yeah they, they it communicates very well the level of wealth involved mm -hmm. but i yeah, but i, I still feel like I, I liked her a lot sorry i keep talking over you oh no no it's i mean lag is is lag um yeah i try to have her use her privilege for good um but the other the other piece of it and you know and again like this is a thing that i've experienced that a lot of a lot I, I know a lot of other people who have experienced this is that um there's a, a point at which Tesla says something about, you know, someone had been nice to her, you know, had 
uh, and so maybe they weren't a suspect, but but her life was filled with people who were nice to her and assholes to other people. And mm-hmm. so one of the mm-hmm. things that I also try to have in her thoughts is her guarding against being that asshole. It's like, oh, no, I have to be. Yes. And that is, that is one of her saving graces when, when she does sometimes, you know, stumble over that line. It's, it seems accidental instead of habitual. I, good. <laughs> That's what I was going for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good. All right. Well, uh, I think we have uh, come up against our time. So, Oh no, uh... no, no. I have one more very important <laughs> trivial question. All right. Get in there, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mary Robinette, if you could, for me, imagine how puppetry might be different in Martian gravity. Oh, I don't have to imagine this for you. This is... Okay, please. I have... (laughs) Like, I have designed a puppet that could be built on the International Space Station. Whether or not it ever will get built on the International Space Station, I don't know. But I have gone down that route so so i love mars, it well, so mars is, yeah mars is fine there's gravity there's one-third gravity um basically what you're gonna have to do yeah. is that you're gonna have to weight your pup any anything that's like a marionette you're gonna have to weight it um because otherwise the pendulum effect is going to be mm-hmm. really pronounced so you're going to be adding extra weights to your things um mm-hmm. moving mouth puppets is going to be the same uh rod puppets those are exactly the same the the biggest areas that you're going to see are any places where you're doing uh, puppets that are in uh, more indirect control, like the marionette. Um, some shadow figures. Mm-hmm. Wait, I'm, I'm confused. I thought pendulum. I thought pendulums were independent no. um, of mass. Mm. Yeah. No, it's no. It's length. Wait, now I'm getting confused. It's been a long time since my physics classes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shut my mouth and listen to the, the puppeteer. Okay, so basically, when you're, um, this is a yes or no. It's, it's how, how easily the pendulum effect is triggered. Mm, okay, that makes more um, sense to my brain. So, so the, the. Um, the sway, yes. The arc of it, yes. You're right. That is independent but the um how easily it's triggered and and how the uh the speed of it can be affected by mm-hmm. the mass so one of the things that you learn when you're doing marionettes is uh both how to trigger and how to stifle a pendulum um so when when i was being trained um, I was trained on a puppet that was made literally out of pieces of paper uh, that was as light as possible oh. so that every mistake you made showed. That's neat. And then uh, as I got more comfortable, I was transitioned to puppets that had had uh, more more mass. The longer the strings are, kind of the more mass you have to add in order to control that pendulum. And uh, and and so with okay. a, a marionette on Mars, because you've got, you know, yes, there's the length of the string question, but also it's just going to be so easy to trigger any mistake, any pendulum. Like you're going to move the hand and you're immediately going to tr- trigger a, a pendulum motion. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to add weight to that to con- to keep that 
to keep that under control, or you're going to have to get really have like the most subtle of movements. But any like any trimmer, any bump is gonna is gonna translate down those strings, and and be very visible because you aren't going to have as much gravity weighting it down to dampen it. I I just adore that you've already I, done this yeah, the, mental work. Um, go on. It seems you, like you. I don't know what I was going to say other than just I love puppets. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, it seems like you would also have to like relearn. Um, hmm like people's mannerisms like yeah. i would assume that like people don't move the same in space as they would like it, like in in the international space station like you don't have to put your arms down at your sides anymore right well, yeah actually yeah because the neutral body posture is different in zero g you're more your arms are sorry this is uh anthropometrics is more <laughs> my uh is my field i'm sorry um it's your arms are like you're in a pool and you're it's if your elbows are up, your hands are down, um, and you're basically leaning back, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you want to, um, no, you, uh, all uh, of that is correct. Like, there's uh, there's something that we call the zero position in puppetry, um, which is the the position that your puppet returns to, or that that your character returns to when it's in between motions. Um, it's it's your stance. It, it's you know where where you just how your puppet stands. And so yeah, you would have a totally different zero position for your characters. Um, the way to to create the illusion of a natural gait, the mm -hmm. idea of a natural gait would be very different. Um, so the uh, like one of the the things when you're moving in Martian gravity, excuse me, uh, lunar gravity is that you have to really lean forward. So walking is a controlled fall. This is a, the first fundamental thing you need to understand. Uh, if lifting up your feet does nothing. It's, it's a combination of lifting your feet and, and leaning mm -hmm. forward. And so when you have, in, in lunar gravity, you have to lean farther forward to get that motion going. I love that. Also, I find that very validating to hear. I described it that way to a friend in college once, and he was like, "No, I don't think that's what I think. Don't think that's what walking is. I think we." <laughs> Which is why trip and fall, uh, trips events can lead to fall events because of forward momentum. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. Did you know that on the moon, the uh, the Apollo astronauts learned that if they tripped and were starting to fall, that they could, if they started running. They, they, could, <laughs> they could avert the fall. Oh, I did not know that, and I'm happier now. Yeah. yeah. Um, long jumpers. There was a, there's an illegal technique for a long jump where it, if you do a, a front flip, uh, you would actually get a longer distance because the entire thing is to counteract that forward motion. Um, that's all mm. the techniques, uh, but a front flint will allow the inertia to go through and you get a longer jump, but it's illegal due to people. They don't want people breaking their neck trying to do a front flip oh, while wow. jumping. That's really cool. Yeah. That, that reminds me of the uh, the thing I saw playing soccer in high school. Kids mastered this front flip where they, when you got to do a free throw of the soccer ball into the field, they'd charge the field do a, a flip forward, bouncing off the soccer ball, land on their feet and use that angular momentum to fling the soccer ball into the field. Oh, wow. And I think that also got outlawed. Makes sense. I've seen it on TikTok. 
Uh, well, we could talk to Mary Robinette all day because she's wonderful and <laughs> her book is wonderful. Uh, once again, we've been talking to Mary Robinette Kowal, author of The Spare Man, uh, out now, available wherever books are available. Uh, head to your local bookstore, maybe support local businesses and buy a, buy a book there. Uh, Mary Robinette, any particular places you would like to send folks to find your books? Uh, in if you right now, if you go to my website, uh, there's a list of ports of call for my tour, and if you order from any of those bookstores, um, you will get an additional boarding package with your book. Ooh! Oh, fun! So, uh, yeah, be sure to head to maryrobinettcoal.com uh, slash events, and you will find a calendar there. I'm just gonna look right now, and it looks like. Uh, October 17th, you're going to be in St. Louis. That is correct. Just hop, skip, and jump down south from me. Yeah. Uh, uh, with Ann Leckie for uh, signing Ooh. at Left Bank Books and at a virtual tour. So probably can't get a thing there, but that's coming up on the 19th. I'm, I'm uh, so yeah. yeah, head to Mary Robinette Cole. Oh, uh, even the virtual ahead. ones, I'm mailing them uh, packages. Oh, well, hey. So there's no excuse. You have to go <laughs> to MaryRobinAckCall.com. Does, does, does this package have your very own lunacy gin? It does in not it? have your lunacy gin. Um, <laughs> it does have um, it does have a boarding ticket, uh, and each ticket has a unique cabin and ticket number. Okay, but how long until you start like start your own gin label? Um, you know, uh, look for Kickstarter next well, year. Dan Aykroyd kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for the yeah. Kickstarter. Got it. <laughs> you get a glass mold of your head that you can. It's <laughs> no, sort of, oh, horrifying. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, all right. Con in Glasgow has their own gin. I've had it. It is delicious. I'm really looking forward to the 2024 World Con because of that. Well, well there so. we go. 2024 go World Con for, yeah. for, yes, for the best gin. All mm -hmm. right. Dan, anything? Or do we have to? Do we have to let her go? Is that what's going on? We have to say. We goodbye? do. Uh, <laughs> I will just remind our listeners: uh, reviews are always appreciated for any author. So head over to Goodreads or Amazon or wherever you purchase your book and hit those five stars because that helps out everybody. It does. Thank you. Uh, uh, reviews are also helpful to your local podcasters. <laughs> yeah, we like yes. those too. Uh, also, uh, Mary Ronette has a Patreon that we've talked about it is patreon.com slash mary robinette over there uh she uh, she offers live stream writing classes monthly q a's and some something called the backstage door which i i, I can't read fast enough to understand what that Basically, is but it sounds you, you scary and you get and to um, you get to see backstage you get to read my works in progress oh and i just cat read pictures. cat pictures so immediately three dollars for backstage door sounds like a huge bargain so head over there <laughs> to patreon.com slash mary robinette mary robinette you've been an excellent guest and thank you so much for coming on thanks for fitting uh, me in. and we can't have you wait to have you back the next time you write a book i look forward to that you know i don't think we mentioned this but she is actually our first return <gasps> guest oh, oh that's right i'm so flattered thank you for bringing bringing me back no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'm very excited. Mary Robinette, you are always a delight. 100%. Absolutely. Well, if we are ever in the same place, I will 
uh, make cocktails for you if I am legally allowed to do so. Oh. Okay, that's that's a we're holding you to that. Well, she's All gonna right. be in Missouri on the nineteenth. <laughs> Noted. Okay. Hop a flight. Road trip. Road trip. <laughs> it's a bit far for me. Road trip, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm at the bottom of Texas. It takes a while. I will be oh, in God. Houston, uh, and and uh, I'm going to be at Murder at, by the Books in Houston, and and I've already gotten oh, clearance I'm from actually... them to uh, have cocktails there. Oh, um, I do live in Houston. Well Oops. then, I will see you shortly. You have no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we have been the Fantasy Book of the Month, uh, and uh, all of us, uh, you know, you hear us all the time. So if you want to know where we're at, listen to a regular episode of Fantasy Book of the Month. Otherwise, keep reading. Mary Robinette's books. <laughs> <laughs>